Now you're one of the biggest house flippers in Hawaii. That's your brand, the flag that you wave. Yeah. What's the annual volume that you guys are doing? 30 million? Yeah, give or, yeah, give or take. Yeah, yeah. In Hawaii, it was hard. No one scaled Hawaii when I first started. There was no one to look up to. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Ender, aloha, brother. How are you? Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Man, I'm so excited, man. This has been a long time coming. I know that you're over in Hawaii with Brandon. You just got off a conversation with him, the tall, bearded Hawaiian guy that talks about real estate from time to time. I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience, and then we'll go from there. So I'm born and raised in beautiful Hawaii. We just had some fires, so that was on a different island on Maui. But born and raised on a pot farm in Hilo and grew up in a different type of lifestyle on a farm, water catchment, a very different type of lifestyle. Finally left the college, got an engineering degree, got a business degree, changed my life to business, ran a construction company for a while, did engineering for a while. In 2013, I realized that I needed to have real estate in my life somehow, some way. I needed to have real estate part of me. I don't didn't know how, didn't want to be an agent making it 3%. I wanted 97%. Went through some education program, big advocate for education platform. Still to this day, I pay a ton of money for programs and mentorships and keep learning and yeah we went to a program about that same time we bought our first primary condo just a hole in the wall 500 square foot box probably big as this room lived in it fixed it did it ourselves painted it sold it 240 sold it for 340 for we made about 90 grand on it and that same time we started learning about wholesaling i wholesaled my first land it was land and I also took that 90000 and got into my first flip. 2014-15, did my first fit, flip, fix and flip. And it was great. It was did one deal, super stressful, but it popped my cherry. It was a huge learning experience. Next year, I did two more. And that following year, three, four more and five, six. And I'm not an overnight success by far. We've done about 100 and 130 just coming up on, on fix and flips. I run about 30 fix and flips here in Hawaii and a year. We do about 30 a year, about 30 million in fix and flips a year. And we do six or seven across the U.S. as well. Huge advocate for rentals. Kicked myself in the butt early on. I wish I bought more rentals and kept them. I was so in the, I needed to fix and flip and make this hundred grand now. I need money now. And I couldn't correlate to having $500 a month like rental. That does sound good. But then I realized all the other benefits of cost seg and some of the benefits of owning long-term rentals. And we have a, we own 160 doors myself. I don't syndicate. I just raise capital and have me in the bank. I guess I own 160 doors myself. We own a shopping center, a strip mall, a few multis, multifamilies, and a ton of single family and a bunch of Airbnbs here in Hawaii. I have a bunch of Airbnbs building out a co-working space with Jay, a lot of people know Jay from. Go he's Park. been on the podcast a couple times. Yeah, Jay's amazing. He's my partner and mentor and some stuff too, and he's amazing. 
a 10 year overnight success, right? Always. Yeah, sure. yeah, man. Now you're one of the biggest house flippers in Hawaii. That's your brand, the flag that you wave. Yeah. What's the annual volume that you guys are doing? 30 million? Yeah, give or, yeah, give or take. Yeah, yeah. In Hawaii, it was hard. No one scaled Hawaii when I first started. There was no one to look up to when I first started. There was no one in Hawaii. There was gurus in the mainland, but no one in Hawaii. And I just took that as somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to figure it out. One of my first flips ever, I think it was my third flip, Everyone was telling me not to do this deal and it's going to fall to the ground. It was bad. It was rotten termites and falling through the floors. Even people, friends or family said not to do this deal. And I looked at that deal and I sent it to a mentor and my mentor said, Hey, somebody's going to do it. It's either you or somebody else. You make 60 grand or somebody else does. And I still take that to this day. Somebody's going to do that deal. Just is it you or somebody else? And I still take that from a multifamily commercial deal to small little property. Like somebody's going to figure out this deal. It's either you or somebody else. So if I pay you a hundred grand to figure it out, would you do it? I'm like, shit, for a hundred grand, I'll figure that out. Yeah. (laughs) It's like we're compensated based off of the level of the problem that we solve. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people right now that feel priced out of the market and they're like, my market's too expensive, but you're literally flipping in Hawaii. So we will go over how you're doing that logistically and making numbers work. And like you said, nobody else was doing it. You figured it out. So we can give some tips and tricks there. But first, the most important thing that I took out of that was, firstly, your education that kickstarted all of this. So let's hit on that a bit. And then also, when you were talking about buying this first property, the first flip, you said that you ran it by your mentor, right? I was in a group, the fortune builders. I think they're not really doing the coaching much anymore. But I ran the deals across my mentors in the group. And then locally here, I had a mentor who, this is really important, the mentor, I had a million dollars. He had a lot of money. So he was very successful. And I never took advice from somebody who had equal or less than me. I always took advice from people who have money. And that was really important to my upbringing because there's a lot of people that will give you negative answers or don't believe or can't see. And often it's because they haven't figured it out themselves. So how could they give you advice? Yeah. yeah you don't take, you what don't was your family's advice. relationship with it? What did your family say? My dad was, yeah, my dad said, don't do the deal. It's a horrible deal. Don't do it. Don't take that risk. It's just every deal like you're saying is an educated risk. If I make this much profit, is that enough risk factor to do this deal? And from a business to whatever, you look at that profit as your risk mitigation of it all. Yeah. So what's some advice that you can give to somebody that's listening to this right now? I get the same message on my Instagram over and over again now where it's somebody that's saying, I've got 50,000, I've got 70,000, I've got $100,000 of cash saved up. People have cash, but they say, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. I want to do like the flipping, the wholesaling, the real estate thing. But I'm trying to figure out how to find a mentor or how to find a community. What's some advice that you can give, some rules of thumb to determine whether a mentor or a community or a coach is worth their time, worth their salt, or they're full of shit? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of coaches, a lot of mentors out there. So obviously, first being around somebody you know and trust and you feel you want to emulate or be a part of, of course, hearing other people in the community. The other reverse more of that is to really set your goals first and figure out what you want to do with that. You had 70, 80,000. Do you want to be a wholesaler? Okay. I'm going to look for a coaching program really entails to wholesaling. 
Do I just want to own a bunch of rentals? Who can help me with that? Do I want to be a flipper? Or do I want to just enjoy passive and be a part of a syndicate? So really defining your goals. And then the best place to start a lot of times, people just don't do it, is just to go buy your own house. A lot of people just are renting still. So I always tell people just spend a Saturday at the bank, a credit union, and talk to your banker and figure out, hey, can I buy a house? If not, what will I need to buy a house? Okay, you need a solid W-2 income for the next six months. Like you're just, that Saturday at the bank will make you hundreds, if not millions of dollars. And that's actually how I started. I went to a bank and he just sat down with a banker and he like told me, okay, you have to give me this and do that. And then from there, I bought my own house and just, I don't know, something about buying your first house, like really teaches you a lot of the, some of the basics we're talking about real estate and it's like a, it's own language sometimes escrows and titles and inspections. I didn't know none of that stuff. And just to learn and go through that process is it's, it's education in itself, just buying your own personal residence, of course. Yeah. Um, the goal setting is definitely a huge part of all figure out. I'm very big in goal setting and then reverse engineering those goals. So figure out how much money you want to make, how much money a month of that is, how many sales call that maybe takes, whatever it may be to figure out back where, and then set times and deadlines to, to achieve those goals. And then look for a mentor that can help you achieve those goals to help you keep you accountable or run deals by, you know, them. And it's, it's nice to have a good community that you can lean on when you're stressed or can't figure it out. Yeah. You have the community for the emotional support and yeah. for the accountability because your cash flow is not there to help you when you're crying. Your cash flow is not going to emotionally support you. Uh, and then the coach is there as risk mitigation because I view coaching and education and mentorship, I just view it as buying your time back. Because if you did this on your own, then maybe it would have taken you 20 years to figure out how to do what you do today, but instead you figured it out in what, five, six years? Yeah. Well, now I have eight, almost 10 years. Yeah. So now here we are, man. That's amazing. So I want to pivot really quickly to a, an interesting conversation that I believe is starting to come up in the real estate investing space more so than it has over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that is passive income and degrees of passivity of income, right? So I feel like we went from, okay, everyone's working a job to, Passive income is the answer. Let's get out of our jobs. Let's go do this whole thing. And then people are only focused on passive income. And now we're going back to the hybrid model to where people are like, okay, we still need some type of active income generation alongside yes. the passive. So I was a podcast with Ryan Pineda, like you and I were talking about, and he talks about doing the flipping and wholesaling or doing whatever you can to still generate active income to fuel and funnel into your real estate assets to develop passive. And you mentioned something there about having wishing that you would have kept at least a percentage or a portion of the flips that you did. So can you talk about how you view passive versus active income today and advice that you would give to somebody starting over? If you could start over, how would you divvy it up between the two? That's a good one. Because flipping's a job. I gotta I gotta <laughs> fix it up. I gotta sell it. So anyone thinks flipping is gonna be passive, it's not passive at all. So you got to recognize that word. Do you want to be in life? You know, what kind of goals again, do you want to have? And of course we all kind of don't want to work kind of part of us doesn't want to work. And that's when we start leading into getting the rentals and building rentals. The rentals are pretty passive. Yeah. There's some work in, involved a little bit, but generally not too much, especially if you have 
property management helping you. And anyone out there thinking they can just get like 10 rentals and just live off of that for the rest of your life. Good luck with that. That's not, it's not going to happen. They're going to get a, a water lane, water thing break or a plumbing leak or a new roof and you're screwed for the whole year. Yep. You know, don't think that you can just be passive. And the W2 jobs help you buy more passive as well. So never just leave your job to jump head on and get, I would say get forced to leave or get fired if you have to, because of this, you need that W2 income to help you buy more and to help you do more in life. And there's different ways of being passive. You can be even more passive to invest in funds and syndicate and make a 12, 15, whatever, 12% return, making money really work. I do things like that myself. And I have investors myself that really generate passive income with less risk, obviously, because you're not worrying about the project of it all. And to get truly passive, it's a love-hate business, of course, of it all. And then when you start building, we have this huge portfolio, we might sell 110 doors-ish right now of it. And I was thought I was going to keep it forever. I was going to cash flow, but I got a lot of equity. I got a lot of money in it. I can take that money out and I can go put that into another fund or and make more off of it, or I can buy something bigger. So sometimes the scale or the growth keeps getting bigger and bigger. I don't think 10, 10 properties is enough uh, yeah. to just live off of. So I started changing my thoughts on this when, A, when I started my current business, and I'm selling my real estate right now, doing the same thing that you're talking about, where it's just, I would rather have a couple hundred thousand dollars of dry powder to do into the next thing. But there's an entrepreneur, maybe Alex Ramosi, and he yeah. talks about the difference between running your business and spending your mental energy on your business versus on investments. And he was like, I have more material return with me focusing on increasing my business and the cash flow generated from that business will yield me anything beyond my wildest dreams. He's, so for me, it makes more sense for me to generate like the most passive stuff. So like what you're talking about, being an LP in a syndication, something or even index one, something truly passive. But on the flip side of the pendulum and on the other side of the equation, you have that person that's listening to this right now that's working $150,000 a year job. And they are trying to figure out how do I get $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month coming in right now so I can leave this job in the next couple of years because they're at their wit's end. And so for them... Doing this LP, it's just not going to move the needle or even buying a single rental or a couple of rentals just isn't going to move the needle. What's some advice that you would give to them? Would you recommend doing a combination like you did where it's a combination of active flipping and then also putting a percentage to the side or what would you tell to that person? I talk to a lot of doctors and lawyers. So if you are successful at your business, lawyer, whatever you're making money at, continue to just focus and be great at that. Don't just step away and think you can become this real estate guru all of a sudden. Like it's still a business and job and growth and takes time. If you are successful and you got, if you got a hundred grand saved up, you're pretty successful, I would say. So continue to just keep that growing. Be great at that. And then let that investor or that fund or that, that syndicator or the operator really do what he's great at and let that fund grow. And then, or you could buy a rental property, something easy and simple that can cash flow or Airbnb that can cash flow. And there's a lot of other benefits, of course, just owning a rental. The cost seg is huge for us. I buy 
we bought our shopping center just now for the cost sake. We got a two million dollar cost sake yep. coming at us for a shopping center we just bought. The savings is huge. In Airbnbs, you can have a lot of expenses. You can offset some expenses there. So the rentals are great for that side of it all. But don't and it's a job. It takes work. I don't think it's just going to be. Oh, I buy a rental and I don't got to do nothing. It's just going to now take away from your what you're good you're good at. And if you're not good at anything, then maybe yeah, go into real estate and try to pursue that. Yeah, then start a podcast. <laughs> yes, get on the education group. <laughs> Each other is huge. That's why I love GoFundMe's because we're these are all everyone's like minded and everyone's successful, and it's, you can really share your struggles, you can share your experiences with each other and they can relate. Mm -hmm. oh, shoot, I've been there. I've done that. Oh, I know what it's like. Or just being an entrepreneur itself, a lot of everyone in Go Abundance has that same connectivity of entrepreneurship and mindset. Like we naturally are tight with each other, I think, because of that yeah. you know, mindset. And it's funny now, like running a community myself too. So it's like, we're both members of GoBundance, but it's just, it's when you're convincing somebody to even do the community or the mastermind that hasn't invested in anything personal development wise, or it's sometimes difficult to articulate like what they're actually buying. And yeah. so it's when you're in it and you have all, you're around all these people that are like you, because the higher you get up, then the more difficult it is to find others like you about that. It's huge too, because then you, deals start coming from oh i'll do that deal with you or oh i'll invest with that with you on that deal or hey i'll help you figure out that deal just from that community alone sure you find so much people and you're just in that in it together now you know you're on a team you're on a you know it's so much more to be in a community like that and to yeah. get involved in community plus give back to don't just take contribute to the community it's important as well yeah the more you give the more you receive i love that so let's go over how you began flipping in hawaii and making it work man so right now people are listening and they're like oh i'm in these expensive markets how am i supposed to flip so you do things a bit different to make them work. So how did you go about this process with these more expensive properties? How do you go how do you go about things differently? How do you handle your business differently? And then the next question after that is how do you handle this amount of volume? That's an insane amount of volume. Yeah, technically I thought it wasn't like I look at Brian but now that they do a hundred homes a year and I'm good friends with Leica, a good friend of mine, Leica. Yeah, I love Leica. Yeah, she's like, you only have to do 20 homes a year to make what he makes off of. He makes 10, 20 grand from a house. I make 100, 200. I made 600 from a house once. So I don't have to do as much volume as other people do. And yeah, the harder part here is we have just bigger purchase prices. We bought a 2.4 and we sold at just shy of 4 million. So we have to raise a lot more capital and we have bigger carrying costs. So the harder thing here is the flow of the money times 18 projects at a time, the money flow and the mortgages. It's a lot going on. We're looking at a project right now, a rehab budget's a million dollars. And so it's a lot of more moving of money. So the harder part is raising bigger capital for these deals. So how'd you, how were you able to take down the first one? The first big flip that you did that kind of changed I, everything for you? Yeah, my first one, I, I sold my house and I had 90 grand to start. So that helped me fund the gap of the deal. But I still wasn't sure of the deal. I was scared. So I actually bought in a expert at the time. He did three flips. And at the time, hard money lenders 
this is 2014, hard money lenders wouldn't lend to you unless you had a deal under your belt. You had to have experience under your belt. And they were at like 14% and two points. It was crazy. That's, but that's what it was back then. And so hard money, I brought this partner on and he helped me just feel secure and help me feel comfortable on the deal. Cause I was scared shitless. I bought a $700,000 house, rehabbed it for, I don't know, was a hundred eighty thousand something like that and sold it over a million but i was scared the whole time and contractors left on me and everything happened and which will eventually and that's big risk big rewards of it all but i tell a lot of people this early on is to be the expert at whatever property you're doing you're buying a rental buying a flip just be that expert in that neighborhood know what's sold, what's expired, what's listed, why that's sold. Do research on it. Be the expert even more than the realtor. Don't trust your realtor. Don't trust because it's your money at stake. So if you take the time, go to the open houses, walk the neighborhoods and pull comps, even look at the Zillow and Zestimate and the tax appraised values, even if they're off, you're just filling your head with information, education, and you're being that expert in that property so you'll know you can expect you can know what to expect for basically what are some things that you look for now that you're a seasoned flipper what are some things that you look for that somebody that's beginning like wouldn't necessarily think to look for what is out of the norm that you look for when you're running your arvs when you're running your comps is there anything that you like some tricks the trade that you've seen over the years? And the easiest one of is always square footage add, value add. And very common here in Hawaii, people when close their garages, not permit it. So then if I can permit that or they capture that square footage, then I'm adding a ton of value to a property that others may not have seen. So always square footage or value add in that sense. And in general, I take on early on I did this. Early on I took on some of the really hardest projects like houses falling down and changing jacking up homes with support beam car jacks and changing 14 of these support beams under these houses like really you're taking problems that no one want to deal with and that's what we do in the business we find the problems that no one else wants to figure out and i would take on the hardest problems that no one wanted to deal with oh you got to tear this house down you can't salvage it and i'm like watch me watch me figure it out and i did those really hard houses and now i'm like any house after is like, it's easy. You did do the hard stuff first. Anything else is after. And I think that's another huge thing is finding, figuring it out when others can't. And uh, as entrepreneurs, that's what we do. We figure it out and any deal, that's what we're doing. We're just figuring out how others can't uh, make it work. Do you have any best practice tips on managing a team of contractors or subcontractors? That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I, we, I ask would, the, we ask the big questions on this podcast. I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a licensed contractor myself and I bid for a while. So just anyone knows that generally you're going to pay your lead guy. Here's how you can figure out a bid up job. You're going to pay your best guy, maybe 300 a day. Pay another guy, maybe 250, 300 a day. Just call them all three guys, 300 a day. You only need three guys. They can all do the whole damn house. How long are they going to take? They're going to take eight weeks. So take three guys at 300 a day times five days a week, times eight weeks, you're at I don't know, 30 grand in labor. So you tell your contractor, you're asking some of the eight weeks, you're asking some basic numbers from him. Now you know where he should be at with labor cost. 
And then it's up to you to figure out material on top of that, or, hey, I'll just pay for material and I'll pay you labor costs. You know where he should be at just quickly, sometimes running numbers like that. Contractors have a lifespan. We built some huge machines of contractors here and then they get too big for us and I can't afford them anymore because they got a office and staff and nice trucks and overhead and secondaries. And so I like the smaller guy. I like the guys with the truck and has it know some people. I, I hate to say it this way, but my favorite contractors are normally foreigners. Yeah. Um, they want to work hard, man. They Japanese, Chinese, Filipinos, Mexicans, man. Boss, can I work Sunday? Okay, if you want to. They want to get the job done quickly. And I think they're such talented tradesmen. Often they're very skilled, quality skilled. The ones that are not, you just got to stay on top of them. But they really have that good, worth, hard worth ethic. And yeah. in construction, you need that hard worth ethic. How do you go about finding them? So if somebody's starting a flipping business yeah. right now, you know, what's the best way they can go about it? A quick hack is just go Home Depot and go buy something. <laughs> I was go about to say, that's what go I early in the morning, look for the guy with the holes in the t-shirts and the beat up truck. Those are the great guy. I did this once. I put a sign up on the, when you drive out of Home Depot, put the contractors needed. Watch your phone blow up really quickly right there. It's really good to talk to multiple contractors. Even on, if you don't know what you're doing, I did this early on. And I would talk to multiple contractors for a certain job and they would tell me their opinions. Oh, you should tear this wall down. That I, thought, oh, I didn't even think of that. And he told me to do that. I didn't use a guy, but he just gave me this great idea. Or sometimes the words they'll use, they'll teach you something. So that when you talk to your next contractor, they'll you can be smart. You know the lingo. You know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I look for the smaller guy. I look for the guy or referrals, of course, too. I, referrals are great. It just depends on our economy. I think there's a lot of contractors asking me for work right now. So there's probably work available. And anyone listening, if you ever get a crazy price from a contractor, don't take it offensive. It just means they're too busy. So crazy prices means they're too busy. They don't want the work. They're going to, I used to do it. I would give a high bid because I didn't want the work. And if they took it, then I'm like, oh, shoot, I better figure it out. So if you're getting <laughs> higher prices, it's just because they're busy. You just got to find a guy not as busy. Stick yeah. to your numbers and bring them to you kind of thing. Yeah, I used to go at 6 a.m. I'd go early in the morning and whoever the guys are that are there earliest in the morning. Oh, yeah. And they've got like a clean truck. They got like the trucks like and they got all their tools and everything. I'm like, OK, you're my guy. Yeah, you know? T-shirt sometimes because yeah. their boss is probably up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that, man. All right. Heck yeah, brother. Man, now that because me and you had to push a little bit on time. Where can people find out more about you, more about what you do, if they're interested in maybe investing with you and funding some of your projects? Where can they find uh, out our, more about you? Indar Hawaii, I-N-D-A-R Hawaii. Come on, this my social, LinkedIn, and webpages, Indar Hawaii. Everything's Indar Hawaii. And just ask questions, guys. Just come on and follow me, please. I give a ton of contents, but there's abundance in life. There's enough for all of us to be successful. I, I believe in abundance and I think I want everyone to be successful. I want everyone to have something, even do a flip, one flip a year, make a hundred grand. Wouldn't that change your life? So come on there, message us, ask questions. Don't be scared. I still ask questions to this day. None of us feel like we're an expert by far. We're always learning. And yeah, I'm super excited to just be a part and help people and give back to people in their lives. Heck yeah, man. I appreciate knowing you, man. I appreciate the friendship and I appreciate this episode, man. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Thank, so, you, thank you so much for being you. Yeah, thank you. With that, guys, this has been Brian and Endar with the Action Academy Podcast.
signing off. Bye.